This Steel Profiles podcast is brought to you by AISC Continuing Education. The new spring seminar schedule has just been announced. Register early for best pricing. Visit AISC.org slash seminars to find a seminar in a city near you. Hello and welcome to the first AISC podcast. I'm Margaret Matthew, Senior Engineer in the Continuing Education Department at AISC, and I'll be your host today. We're very excited about our new podcast series where we'll be bringing you interviews with a large variety of people in our industry. Look for a new installment every month. Our interview today is with Dr. James Fisher, outgoing chair of the AISC Specification Committee. Dr. Fisher, a vice president for computerized structural design in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, has had a long and illustrious career as a structural engineer. Jim did his undergrad work at the University of Wisconsin, was a lieutenant in the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and then did his master's and Ph.D. work at the University of Illinois. Dr. Fisher has authored or co-authored 16 books and numerous technical publications, as well as being a member of ASCE 7. Jim has been a longtime friend of the Institute, receiving the T.R. Higgins Lectureship Award in 1984, the AISC Lifetime Achievement Award in 2000, and AISC's highest award, the J. Lloyd Kimbrough Award, in 2006. The following is a compilation of two interviews conducted with Dr. Fisher, one by phone and one in person. So you were chairman of the SPEC committee from 2003 until last December 2009. And in that time, you saw the 2005 SPEC published, which brought ASD back, and also the 2010 SPEC is about to be published. So could you describe your philosophy as you came into the position as chair? Sure. I wouldn't say that, that it brought AS, um, ASD back necessarily because it was still uh, incorporated into the model building codes, but it it really hadn't been updated for a long time, well, since 1989. So my, my first goal was to create what I would call a unified specification so that practitioners could decide whether they want to use ASD or LRFD. And that decision is made when they, when they pick up the model building code, like the International Building Code, they either have to select ASD load combinations or LRFD load combinations. So once a, a individual wants to do that, then we need to satisfy them that there are ASD provisions and LRFD provisions. So I also wanted to bring the, uh, ASD specifications up to date. As I mentioned, they hadn't changed really since 1989. And once that was accomplished, then I, I, I was wanted to uh, sort of like sit back and uh, try not to make any additional changes for some time for uh, later specifications. In my opinion, most practicing engineers, and myself included, uh, are really tired of, of the constant changes that have gone on in the specification world, not only the, the changes, but the frequency of the, the changes. So it's, it's nice if we can hold, hold the line for a while. Actually, AISC is now going to a six-year uh, cycle on the specifications, and that helps. That means there won't be any changes for six years. And I think it'd be nice if, if ASCE 7 and also the International Building Code could extend the, the years that they, you know, put out the, their documents so that, that we can get used to them without having to look at changes right away. 
Yes, I think everybody would appreciate that. So after the 2010 uh, spec is published, we won't see another new spec from AISC until 2016? Correct, and that probably won't be adopted, you know, and by uh, any, uh, by like the IBC until, you know, a year later, or two years later, and then it then it has to be adopted, of course, by municipalities and states. So it'll be some time before we see another one after the 2010. Where did the idea come from for a unified specification? We knew we had to do something to end the bickering between uh, ASD and LRFD. The concept had already been tried to put a unified specification together several years earlier by the American Iron and Steel Institute in their cold form spec. And we had the same factions that were designing ASD uh, versus LRFD with that organization. So they had put together, and I'm on that spec committee as well, the, a unified spec which made use of the separating phi and omega, which is basically it. all the equations were, were the same, like for moment and shear, and we used phi and omega. And it had been used for several years, and it worked. And uh, I basically suggested that, hey, that's a, a good format. I think it'll solve the problem. And uh, so we did it. So how did you sell this idea to a pretty contentious group that makes up the spec committee? I think everybody was tired of uh, the, the bickering between people. There were always a few hangouts on both sides of the street, that is, the LRFD folks and the ASD folks. But it wasn't severe. I think everybody knew that it was time to cooperate, and uh, I tried to uh, use my sense of humor to get everybody to agree that this, this was going to be a good thing. There were some reservations, but all in all, in retrospect, now that we've had more than five years of it, I think it's working very well. I'm curious, did the LRFD people think that it was taking a step back? Some did, and some ASD people were upset. It was, it's interesting. There were there were sort of rabble rousers on both sides, but they were in the minority. Eventually, everybody calmed down, and I think for the most part, everybody is very happy with what we accomplished. Yes. Were you always a proponent of LRFD versus ASD? Well, that that question insinuates that I was a proponent of LRFD, but <laughs> which which I I was not because. I, like many other practicing engineers, had grown up with ASD and in the type of work that I've done, which is primarily industrial uh, buildings, uh, we always used ASD even after the, uh, the first, I think it was 1986, LRFD spec came into being. And, you know, I guess I'm naturally lazy like a lot of people and don't have time to learn something new. So... We, I continued to use ASD until the, uh, the until the 2005 spec came along. So, were you on the spec committee when LRSD originally came out? No, I w I got on the spec committee roughly, uh, I'd say one year after that 86 uh, specification came out. Was that part of the reason you wanted to be on the committee? I never really uh, really thought about being on the committee. I I was asked to be on the committee, and I was honored to be asked. I thought that I could contribute to the uh, problem of people lining up in different camps and saying, oh, LRFD is the only way and ASD is the only way. And 
I thought there ha- there has to be an intermediate way that we can put this together and and satisfy most of the people. So that became my thought after being on the, being put on the spec committee. But then, of course, until the 2005 spec, we were only updating LRFD. So that sort of disheartened me a bit. But uh, then we we were able to change that for the 2005 specification. The specification uh, or, or manual, I should say, since. Since I went to school, and I won't say, you know, what the first one is up here because that will date me. But, no, I'm using the 2005 spec now, but occasionally, you know, I'm evaluating an existing structure that maybe uh, certainly was designed in accordance with ASD, and you want to see what the rules were, and not only from the green book, but prior books. Uh, it's something that I look at. Uh, it's uh, it's like an old friend, and I don't disregard old friends. So uh, it's there, and uh, it'll it'll remain on my bookshelf as as long as I can see it. I'm I'm sure. The new 2010 spec is on the cusp of being published. So what changes can we expect to see in the 2010 spec? Well, as I indicated earlier, uh, one of my goals was uh, after the 2005 was to make minimal changes and one of the thrusts at every meeting I uh, I held and generally we have two meetings a year I'd say to the folks no more changes sort of like read my lips but let's not make changes uh, we're tired of changes and I must commend the the committee because there are very few changes that have been made for the 2010 spec. I, I can think of just one or two minor instances. So we're not going to have to learn a bunch of new stuff. There's there's some reorganization, uh, mostly to make it easier to read, to put emphasis on certain things. But uh, for the most part, there's no changes, and I think the profession will be uh, very happy with that. So what do you consider your biggest challenge in your tenure as chair? I don't think there were really any major uh, challenges. I, I like I like running meetings. I like organizing people. I like convincing them one way or the other, and that's all part of it. The the committee members themselves, all these TC members that are the, the brainiacs of the group, were always helpful. They they worked really hard, compromised when they had to compromise, compromise, and uh, I enjoyed working with with all of them there were a few uh few meetings where uh we came close to fist fights but not many and they're all professionals so that that doesn't really happen and i should also add uh, there could be significant challenges except for the fact that the AISC staff members which were intimately involved with all the all the task committees and the main committee were extremely helpful and took a lot of the administrative stuff away where I didn't have to deal with it. It it was very helpful. So I can't I can't thank them enough. Shankar Nair is the new specification chair. Uh what do you think he will bring to the position and what challenges do you think he will face? Well I think like myself he probably won't have any major uh, uh challenges. I have known Shankar Nair probably over forty five years. We were both uh graduate students together. I'm a little older than Shankar, cause, and that's because he was so smart. He he advanced quicker than I did. But but he is one of the most uh, intelligent engineers uh, that I know, and also he's a very uh, savvy politically. And I believe from watching him as uh, the, one of the task committee chairmen, he's a very influential 
leader. I think he'll do a great job. I'll keep working on him and make sure he uh, he's in tune with uh, not making changes to the spec and that uh, we should simplify the specification whenever we can. And uh, I'm sure the, the whole committee, again, will uh, join in and be as helpful as, as possible. So I know he'll enjoy uh, his tenure as uh, chairman as, as much as I did because it, it really has become a family to uh, many of us. Well, we look forward to seeing what he has in store for us. What's your most interesting memory from your 20-plus years on the SPEC committee? Well, there's a lot of uh, good memories and and humorous things that uh, happen at the meetings. You know, the arguments and settling arguments. and uh, um, I think the most interesting things, though, were the various conversations with other SPEC members uh, after hours, so to speak. <laughs> uh, I still remember the advice that Bill LeMajor gave me while we were having a, a cocktail one evening in Chicago where he said, uh, Jim, always remember that you should never design a building unless you can design it on the back of an envelope. And I think uh, we've sort of gotten away from that. It's the same as kind of knowing the answer before you use the computer. I think that was sound advice. And there were many times like that where I had very nice conversations with, I was lucky enough to have them with some of the, the really uh, great structural engineers of, uh, of our time. So you've been practicing, you've been a practicing engineer for over 40 years? Well, almost 40 years full-time. Okay. And you're semi-retired? Yeah, semi-retired now, uh, like many structural engineers, just can't let go completely. Yes, for the last two years I've been uh, part-time at the company. So why did you choose to specialize in industrial work instead of the more glamorous commercial structures? Some things just sort of happen. For several years I designed uh, commercial buildings and also then I designed a lot of uh, sewage treatment plants and water purification plants and that sort of wasn't too exciting for me. And one senior partner who was very pro doing industrial work and convinced the rest of us it was uh, the best way to make money. And I ended up developing with a client in Milwaukee uh, called uh, Alice Chalmers at the time and they had a plant engineer who did not have an engineering degree. In fact, I'm not sure he had a degree. But I started working with him on their various uh, renovation projects. And he was, he asked questions that no one has ever asked me. The difficulty of answering those questions. He, he was very, very intuitive and challenged me. And I didn't know a lot of the answers. So I started getting interested in, in many things as they relate to industrial buildings and cranes. And he kept challenging me. And I, I worked for as a consultant to him for probably uh, 10 years. Gained some knowledge uh, about industrial buildings. And that just sort of then mushroomed as, as time went on. So what was your favorite project? I even have more than one. Yeah, there, there, there are, uh, there's many certainly, uh, and a lot of them aren't just pure uh, structures, although if, if I sit and think about it, there's an awful lot of projects that I really loved. Challenging-wise, and uh, maybe it was crazy, but I had a project years ago in a place called Saltville, Virginia, where it was a U.S. gypsum plant, 
they had what they call an event there, and that's where uh, you get a sinkhole, and it diverted a small river un underneath where this plant was built with really heavy equipment, and the plant started to settle uh, rather rapidly. So U.S. Gypsum, it was one of their major plants, said, well, we got to build a new plant. We can't stop this from happening. So I got hired to tell them how long they could stay in operation without their plant falling down. Wow. And uh, it was extremely exciting. We put up some instrumentation, and we'd go every week, and we'd watch how, how much the beams had slid off their bearing supports. And, and this is all why, but while they're still in the building. And they're still working, they're still working. yeah. And they, I mean, they didn't want to quit. And like I say, I, in my older years now, I probably wouldn't take that uh, challenge. Or <laughs> I may be smarter now. But we actually uh, kept them working until the new plant was ready. It was, uh, it was nine months to a year. And that building settled I don't know, I'd say a foot and a half during that time. It wasn't, fortunately, it wasn't all differential. Some of it was just pure uh, settlement. But it was exciting, and uh, it made me nervous, <laughs> yes, but we, we, uh, we, we had a good time doing it. So <laughs> It was a success. And, you know, that's a neat part, too, of structural engineering is when you can make a client really happy. Yes. And, boy, were they happy. Because I would guess that most people wouldn't have taken that job. I wouldn't think so. I'm not sure we ever notified our insurance carrier that we were doing that, but we didn't think about that as much. Yeah. Uh, you know, this. How was, long ago was this? It was probably 25 to 30 years ago, yeah. but I still remember it vividly. Oh, I'm sure. I can remember that the geologists wanted me to go down in these deep holes so we could see how much things were shifting. I said, no, 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 I'll, I'll stay above ground. You can go down in those holes. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Any others spring to mind? One of my big first uh, steel mills was in Canada. It was a, uh, a ladle that had a 14-foot lever arm. It was uh, 350 tons, and it swung 360 degrees, and this had never been tried. And it was a severe deflection criteria. And I, I really had a good time designing it. Uh, it, it was a unique structure. And the thing, of course, I remember the most, I was up there when they were about to turn it on. And it was a Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and the owner said, well, you're going to stay here tomorrow to watch this. And I said, well, it's Thanksgiving in, uh, in, at not home. In and, and not in Canada, it's not Thanksgiving. They'd already had theirs. And uh, so I, uh, I had to stay, and oh. uh, it, 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 he didn't make me stand under it, but there was some talk of having to stand under this ladle while they uh, tried it. But uh, there's, there's a lot of projects kind of like that that... Once you start to reminisce, which I don't like to do a whole lot, uh, makes you old, um, that uh, we're exciting. There's another story I just tell you. You can use it if you want. Okay. And challenging jobs. It's one of the few times that somebody found the firm over, through the yellow pages. <laughs> um, and this company, what they did is they transported uh, molten aluminum on trucks. They were out of the south side of Milwaukee, and they had a truck going to Ohio from, from Milwaukee. This is when the energy crunch in the early 70s was there, and it, it cost more to, to reheat these aluminum billets than to transport them in the liquid state. Really? Yes. 
And I couldn't believe it, but they had these big tanks on the trucks with a spigot. And the guy was driving in Illinois, and the spigot broke. And so molten aluminum was shooting out into the next lane of traffic. So the truck driver uh, uh, was over a bridge, and he stopped, and it completely melted the bridge. Well, they hired us to see what was going on. It turned out it was a fatigue failure uh, also of the truck. So uh, we were hired to try to figure out how to change the natural frequency of the truck because every time it hit the cracks in the pavement, it, it would develop. This mass was just perfectly balanced where it's got the thing in, in uh, its, its uh, uh, natural state, you know, and it was bouncing along. So I, uh, I rode with truck drivers for uh, three days. We instrumented the trucks. And one of the truck drivers told me that it, this had also happened to him. And there were no regulations on these, uh, these vats of aluminum. And th this guy, it was at night, and he pulled into a, uh, a big uh, shopping center parking lot and just kept making smaller circles till the aluminum ran out. <laughs> they paid for, an for a parking lot. But we changed their support system on the trucks, um, so there was an air ride system, and it eliminated it, got away from the natural frequency, and uh, it, it solved the problem. But that was exciting. Who's the most interesting person you've ever worked with? Well, there's interesting, intelligent people, and, and weird people, and interesting people. However you want to interpret that. Uh, yeah, I, I've been fortunate to work with some very intelligent people that are also, some of them are very interesting. But I think through the years, uh, my colleague, uh, Mike West, is, is an interesting individual. He and I are so different, and I think it's because he's left-handed and I'm right-handed, and he's right-brained or left-brained, I don't know the difference, but we never agree on anything, and we fight and we argue, but when we work together, we finally arrive at a good solution. He challenged each other. He, we challenge each other, and uh, I was more interested in some of the, you know, the typical structural engineering things, and, and Mike was just extremely good at putting construction documents together. So that team, I, I can remember one job for UPS where we, we drove down to Chicago on a Saturday morning and interviewed for the job. And uh, we basically had it designed by Sunday. They were just thrilled that because uh, they, they, it was a very fast track thing. That was a, an exciting project. But together we could we could do things very quickly. And and you've I, worked I with Mike for how long? Probably close to 35 years. A long time so friendship. Most, a lot of your career, most of your career. A lot of my career, and a lot for a lot of years I didn't work with him because we didn't get along. But once we realized that we could team up and, and be successful, uh, we've had a good time. What's your uh, biggest professional regret? Honestly, I do not have any, any regrets whatsoever. I, uh, I think that's rare. I, I know it's rare, and I can think about bad days at the office. I mean, there were challenging days and, and, and frustrating days, but I really don't have any regrets. I don't have any professional uh, regrets. I've found it important to never look backwards. 
always look forward. And as one gets older, it's it's harder to do because you see all these old people. You know, they 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 reminisce a lot more. Uh -huh. And I think it's important to gain from that knowledge, but to always look forward. What are you going to do tomorrow? What are you going to do the next day? Right. And uh, that's what keeps you going. Looking back at your your long illustrious career, what are you most proud of? I haven't really thought about that. I would say I'm most proud of the friendships that I've developed within the profession. I love my colleagues. I love my company. Just being able to associate with many of these people, uh, and like I say, some very uh, intelligent folks, uh, I'm, I'm very happy with that aspect of my life. And it, that's really maybe not professional, but it, the professional stuff did make that happen. Mm -hmm. If you could go back in time, what advice would you give to a young Jim Fisher just getting started in structural engineering? I think I'd give the same advice that was uh, given to me by uh, Ted Galambos. Uh, I met Ted when I was just a young graduate student. And he came up to me and said, you get involved professionally you will never regret it. And I took Ted's advice and first joined a ASCE committee on plate girders and that stemmed into, you know, the AISC work and the AISI work and uh, I think it's very important to get involved professionally and it's satisfying, you contribute to your, your industry and you make great friends. I think it adds a little bit more to your to your profession too, other than just designing buildings, and it brings another layer to it, I think. Yes, and I was fortunate also to have colleagues at the office that would permit lots of, uh, as the attorneys would say, pro bono work. Yes. Because um, through the years, it averaged out to be a lot of time, and uh, I hope that continues in our firm for a long time. Because I think it is important. Whether you get work from it or not doesn't doesn't really matter. I, I really think it's giving back to the profession and it's uh, making the friendships that you make. So I think that concludes our, our interview today. Uh, thank you so much for your time today, Jim. And it's always a pleasure to talk with you. And thank you also for all of your hard work as the chair of the Specification Committee. Well, thank you. I've, I've enjoyed it, and I will continue uh, to be active as long as I'm uh, capable and as long as AISC wants to be there. Thank well, I'm you. I'm sure that's probably never going to change. So, Well, thanks a lot. This has been a presentation by the American Institute of Steel Construction. Next month's podcast will feature an interview with new AISC specifications chair, Shankar Nair. For more information on AISC continuing education opportunities, please visit us on the web at AISC.org seminars. And remember, there is always a solution in steel.